We are continuing uh, to anticipate the birth of Jesus. Isn't that a weird thing to say? Because it didn't already happen. Uh, Yes, we can acknowledge that we say weird things in church sometimes. Um, Yeah, we're looking forward to the birth of Jesus. It already happened, but we're looking forward to what it means and being reminded of what it means for us. We're also being reminded that he is coming again. And we're looking forward to the return of Jesus uh, for a lot of the same reasons that the Israelites for hundreds of years looked forward to the birth of the Messiah, right? We recognize that when God decided to give a gift to humanity, the greatest gift he could think of to give was himself, his presence, his physical embodied presence in the person of Jesus that could look human beings in the eye, have conversations, share meals together, walk down the road together, put a hand on their shoulder. That's the gift that he gave. And so we kind of turn that back around on ourselves and we think, what is the greatest gift I can give to the people that I love and value? It's gotta be physical presence. It's gotta be me looking people in the eye and giving them my undivided attention, caring about what they care about, celebrating what they celebrate, grieving what they grieve, right? So that's our heart this Advent season is to reflect the nature of God by giving uh, the gift of presence to people. And we're thinking about the things that we're looking forward to when Jesus returns. And so this week, our focus is on peace. So we're gonna look at what uh, peace means uh, in scripture and how we can expect peace to happen for us. Is it possible? When is it coming? And all of that stuff. So uh, let's start with this from Luke chapter two. This is when the angels showed up to the shepherds. Remember shepherds in the fields watching their flocks by night and the angels are gonna show up and give them some really good news Uh, And uh, if you see anything on the screen that's underlined, that's your part. You can read that out loud with us. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Not bad, not bad. Um, We're gonna try it again. And here's what I want you to think of. Usually when we think of this phrase, we think of it's an angel choir and they're singing it. I don't know where we got that idea. What it says when it says heavenly host is an army. It's an angel army. And when armies say things, how do they say them? They shout it and it's loud and it shakes the earth. So uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna be the angel army and we're gonna try this again. Are you ready? Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and say. was awesome. That was really cool. And from my, for you, you guys should have been up here for that. That was really cool. But this is the good news. Peace on earth, peace on earth, peace on earth. And, and you think, well, this is it. I mean, Jesus is born. There's going to be peace now. Is that what happened? No, it's, it's not what happened. In fact, things kind of get worse for a minute. I mean, King Herod loses his mind and orders the murder of innocent children to protect his throne. I mean, it's not peace. So what are the angels talking about? What what does scripture mean by peace? And how are we supposed to think about that in terms of what we see going on in the world around us, in our own hearts, in our own homes? Where is this peace that is promised? Uh, We'll start with kind of the Hebrew concept of peace. From the Jewish scriptures, we get the word shalom. Shalom is what's translated as peace. In our uh, Bibles in English. 
And shalom is a common greeting among Jews today. They would greet shalom, good morning, uh, how are you doing? That's a, a common greeting. And it's, it's a way of saying, I hope all is right with you. Like my hope for you is that everything in your world is, is the way it should be. I hope everything is right with you. That's, that's the idea of shalom is all is right with the world. That's the picture we get in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden. God creates plants and animals and trees and humans. And he says, it's all very good. And there was shalom. There was peace. Everything was right in all the different ways that it could go wrong. It was right until Adam and Eve rebel against God's authority. They eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in uh, an effort to decide for themselves what is good and bad, what is right and wrong, to rule their own lives. And suddenly, shalom is broken. Human rebellion shatters shalom. And four key relationships. So we're going to look at those four key relationships, how shalom was broken by Adam and Eve's sin, and how God has been on a mission from that moment to put it all back together. So the first category where shalom was broken is in the human's relationship with God, their relationship with God. Before the rebellion, before sin, Adam and Eve had trust with God. He provided everything they needed. They honored him in everything they did. They partnered together in uh, tending this garden and, and making the creation flourish and thrive. It was beautiful. There was peace. Then the rebellion, and then we get this from Genesis chapter 3, uh, 8 to 10, where it talks about what happens after the rebellion. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Something new has happened between Adam and God. He is afraid of God. Not just the fear, like we get this sense of reverent awe of who God is, but like he's afraid of what God is gonna do when he finds him. I don't know if you remember that experience as a child. I had that multiple times when I would break something that belonged to my father. And I thought, oh, shoot, he's going to find out. And he might kill me. Like, it's going to be bad, right? It's that fear of what he's going to do when he finds you. Adam had never experienced this before because he had never had a reason to. And this peace between him and God is broken. And now he's hiding in fear from his creator, from his father. This is not peace. This is not shalom. It's not how things are supposed to be. The second category where we see uh, shalom is shattered is um, uh, the human being's relationship with self. We have a relationship with ourselves, right? You know this? Um, and before the fall, the relationship with self is confidence and security. How do we know this? Because Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. That, that's confidence, Right? Like, that's a level of confidence that you and I, hopefully, maybe we'll never experience or let anyone know that we've experienced. Like, that is just, that's just a whole level of being good with who you are, being at peace with who you are, right? I don't even need clothes. I don't, I don't need to hide anything from anyone. Nothing to fear, nothing to prove, nothing to hide. I'm at peace with myself. Then after the fall, here's 
Here's what we read, Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Shame enters the world for the first time. Embarrassment, insecurity, fear. Now I have something to hide. Now I have something to fear. And the goal is to, to cover that up, to protect. And this relationship with self is broken. And I think all of us, we, we experience this. We know what this is like to, to walk into a room and be concerned about how you're being perceived and what people are thinking about you and do they respect you? Will they listen if you speak? Do they value you as a human? What if they knew the things that you don't ever tell anybody? Then would they still like you? We have this broken relationship with ourselves. It's not how it was supposed to be. The third category of relationship where we see shalom being shattered is in humans' relationship with each other. Before the fall, Adam and Eve are, are, are working together. They're partnering with God. Everybody is at peace. They're doing their chores without complaining. There's no like, well, I did the dishes three nights in a row and now it's your turn. It was, it was just peace between Adam and Eve, right? Then after the rebellion, after the fall, here's, here's what we see. Genesis 3, 12 and 13. The man said, the woman you put here with me, Guys, if you want to destroy peace in your home, this is a great way to start. God, the woman that you put here with me, peace is gone at that moment, right? Uh, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So not only do we get this blaming, right? I'm, I'm going to blame someone else for the thing that I did that created a problem. But we get, at the same time, it's a shifting of responsibility. I'm not responsible. It's not my fault. It's the woman you put here. No, it's the serpent that you put here. And really what they're doing in a sense is blaming God. And don't we do that? Don't we say, God, God I would be a much nicer person if people weren't such idiots. Right? Like, come on, you've thought that on the way to church this morning. Like, <laughs> well, I wouldn't say those words in the car if the people in front of me wouldn't drive stupid. Like that's, you know, not my fault. It's their fault. We do this. We blame shift. We, we shirk responsibility. We don't want to take responsibility for the things that we do that create problems. There's a broken relationship between humans. We don't see the dignity, the image of God in each other anymore. It's the result of the fall. The fourth category of relationship uh, that is shattered by the fall is human's relationship with creation. In the beginning, creation is good, everything is good, and the humans are charged with tending the garden to help it flourish and thrive. They're not supposed to just sit back and let grapes fall into their mouths. They're supposed to get up and do some harvest, take care of things, make it beautiful, help it thrive. And it's good, everything is good. They have everything they need, more than they could eat. And then after, this is part of the curse of the fall in Genesis 3, 17 to 19. This is what God says to Adam. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. 
and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So no longer is this going to be a beautiful garden. They're, they're banished from the garden. They're not allowed to live there anymore. Now they have to go out and do hard work to grow food out of the ground. Have you guys ever tried that? Some of you farm on a big scale. Some of you have tried gardens. I've tried gardens in, around our house. Didn't go super great. It's a lot of work. <laughs> it's part of the curse. I cursed Adam in my garden. How dare you? This should be easier. Our relationship with creation is shattered by the fall. And no longer is it this partnership in making things beautiful to flourish and thrive and to produce a harvest, but it's work. And now the ground is fighting back against the human, producing thorns and thistles and making it hard. It's not how it was supposed to be. It's broken. So we, we, we look at all of that and, and it's, it's pretty obvious. I don't have to persuade you that there's not peace, right? I don't have to persuade you that humans have, have trouble being at peace with God or peace with themselves or peace with people or peace with creation. The evidence is glaring. It's all around us. But the question is, can it be fixed? Like, is there hope that there could be peace? Is there a way for shalom to be restored? Is there a time when we could look around and go, everything is right, Everything is right. I think the prophets thought so. God speaks through the prophets with a message of hope that there's coming a day when all will be right again. Shalom will be restored. In Isaiah 53, uh, he is talking about the Messiah, the one who's going to come and make all things new. And here's, here's what he writes. You have a part here? Are you ready? Everybody wake up. Here we go. Isaiah 53, five, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And by his wounds, we are healed. The punishment that brought us peace, what does that mean? It means that there's a sacrifice happening. Isaiah has in mind the sacrificial system under the Mosaic Covenant, when somebody sins against God or against another human or against the community, a peace offering is brought to the temple or the tabernacle. And that peace offering is an animal. It's a lamb or a goat. And that, that lamb or goat is offered as a substitute for the human because the wages of sin is death. Something has to die to pay for this sin to restore peace between the human and God or the human and each other. So the animal is offered. And the punishment that should fall on the person falls on the animal. And Isaiah says, there's gonna come a person someday who is going to take on the punishment that should fall on us so that there can be peace with God. The Messiah will be a peace offering is what he's saying. Isaiah is pointing to a time in the future when things are going to be right again. Has that happened yet? I mean, I think we, we still struggle with this. We look around, we go, no, I know Jesus has come. I believe he died, he rose from the dead, and I still don't see peace. So how can we start to put this puzzle back together in all four of these areas and, and have some hope that we can experience peace here on earth? 
in little moments and little glimpses and then look forward to the day when Jesus makes all things new and shalom is fully restored. So let's, let's walk through these again and let's try to put this um, shattered shalom puzzle back together. I have a puzzle for you today. Anybody get into puzzles during COVID? We were like, I wasn't a puzzle person. Now I am a puzzle person. Okay, that might be me. I'm not saying yes or no. It's just possible. So the first piece of the puzzle that um, we're gonna put back together is our peace with God. Our peace with God. If God loves me, this will not fall down the whole time that I'm talking. It's possible. How can we, sinful human beings, be at peace with a holy God? Well, it starts with the reality that that's what God wants. God wants peace with us. I think it's important to start there. I think we recognize that there, there are problems and, and we're not sure about a lot of things, but one thing that scripture makes really clear is God wants to be at peace with you. In fact, he's gone to great lengths to make it possible to make it happen. So what is the obstacle? What keeps us from being at peace with God? Well, it's, it's our sin. It's our rebellion. It's, it's our desire to say, I, I, don't, I don't know if I want you to be in control of my life. And there's another force at work. It's not just human nature, but there's an enemy of God who wants to disrupt our peace with God. The enemy that was present in the garden and whispering these things to Eve, these lies, God is holding out on you. God doesn't have your best interests in mind. You're probably better off on your own. And those lies were so reliable, they really hasn't changed the game that much in a few thousand years. And he's still telling the same lies today, right? Can you really trust him? Are you sure what God's intentions or motives are? Is that really gonna be what's best for you? Maybe you'll be better off on your own. So we have this internal thing, we have this external thing, all of this just combines to turn us into people that really have created a lot of obstacles between us and God. But Jesus has done his part to make peace. And we find this all over scripture. I wanna just share one uh, verse from Romans chapter five. Verse one, it says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, What I like about this verse is the verb tenses. Anybody, grammar, people, verb tenses? When it says we have been justified, what does the verb tense tell you? It's done. It's in the past, right? It's done. When he says we have peace with God, what does the verb tense tell you? That is the present reality of your life. If you have been justified through faith, through your belief that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead, then you presently in this moment, whether you feel it or not, you have peace with God. And isn't that a great promise? Because sometimes I don't feel it. Sometimes I'm not really sure. But most of that is on my end. Jesus has done the work. It's in the past and whether I have peace with God or not, sometimes it's just up to me. God has done the work to create peace with him, which is gonna be the foundation for our shalom in our lives. If we don't have peace with God, these other areas are not gonna line up because he's our creator, the one who made us and sustains us. The second category that we want to rebuild is our peace with self. 
or peace with self. This is a struggle for a lot of us um, because we know ourselves too well. We know all the things about us that if people knew would cause them to change their opinions. We know what we want. We want to be loved and honored and respected by everyone. But we also know we don't deserve it. So we have this battle, this shattered view of self. And how can that be restored? I think if we let God tell us who we are and we trust his definition of our identity, then we can begin to move in the direction of a life that has nothing to hide, nothing to prove, nothing to fear from the people around us. Nothing to hide, nothing to prove, nothing to fear. And our view of self comes from God's view of us. When we see ourselves the way God sees us, we can be at peace with ourselves. There's a cool story in Acts chapter 10 where God is trying to convince Peter that the Gentiles should be a part of the gospel message, right? They're invited in just like everybody else. Peter's struggling with this because he grew up believing Gentiles were outside of God's kingdom. And so God gives him this vision of this uh, blanket that comes down out of the sky and it's full of all the animals that Peter's not allowed to eat according to Jewish dietary laws. So God says, Peter, go ahead and, and chow down. I know you're hungry, have some dinner. And he's like, nope, can't eat that stuff. It's, it's, off, it's off limits. And God tells Peter, don't call anything impure that I have made clean. Now, God's purpose was to convince Peter, like I've called the Gentiles pure, I've made them clean, so don't call them impure. But I think that we can apply that message to ourselves as well. I think we need to look ourselves in the mirror and say, I can't, I can't call anything impure that God has called clean. That's not my place. God has decided that he loves me and that I, I was worth the sacrifice that he made to have peace with me? Who am I to call impure what God has called clean? We let God's view of our identity be our foundation so that we can be at peace with ourselves. I think we can move in that direction. Uh, the third category where we are trying to rebuild peace is with others. And um, this is a, a challenge because, I mean, have you met others? People make it hard, <laughs> don't they? And when we're honest, we're one of those people, right? We're one of those people that makes it difficult to have peace. But what I think we do is we, we allow so many things that are not important get in the way of peace with others. We, we've kind of created categories of importance that God has not condoned. One of those for the Jews was this Jew-Gentile division where they had just created this category in their minds that non-Jews were not as important to God as Jews. I don't know where they got that. They didn't get it from God, but that was, that was their mindset. And so when Jesus comes and he brings the gospel and, and opens the doors to the kingdom, the Jews are kind of standing at the doors, deciding who can come in and who can't come in. 
And it creates problems in churches where there are both Jews and Gentiles who are believers in Jesus and they're trying to worship together and the Jews are going, I'm not too sure you guys are supposed to be here. So Paul writes to a church like that in Ephesus to help them understand what things are supposed to be like in their relationship. This is what he says about Jesus in Ephesians chapter 2, 14 to 18. For he himself is our peace. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. This is some pretty aggressive language. He's saying Jesus destroyed the barrier. Any barrier that you would create, any category you would make in your mind that would separate you from other people, Jesus came to destroy that barrier to make one humanity out of the many and to put to death hostility. I don't know if you feel like there's hostility in your relationships with others, but sometimes we act like it. And Jesus came to put that hostility to death so that when we look at other human beings, we see the image of God. We see infinite dignity and value and worth in the eyes of every person that we see. Jesus makes it possible for us to look at people like we're all on equal ground. Like we we all have the same level of Issues, we all have the same potential for evil and good. And we're all loved by our creator. We're all people that Jesus died for. And if we can start to look at each other that way, what what should separate us? What should create hostility between people? Nothing. Peace with others is possible. In Christ. And the final category that we're trying to rebuild is our peace with creation. This is the one that doesn't fit. Oh, it does. Here it goes. Our peace with creation. This is something that we don't talk a whole lot about in the church, um, but maybe we should talk about it more because um, when God created human beings, his, his ideal, his vision was these human beings are going to rule over creation and they're going to help it flourish and thrive. Like under the rule of humans, creation should flourish. Is that that what we're doing? Is that how we see the relationship between humans and creation? Not not on the whole, I wouldn't say. That the way that we care for the earth, the air, the water, animals, agriculture, it's not creating flourishing all the time, is it? Why should this matter to us? Well, I, I think it matters to God Because creation is his. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. God made it. Therefore, how we treat it is a reflection of how we see him, right? If I baked a batch of cookies for my family and they come through and they eat one and then throw one in the garbage and they eat one and throw one in the garbage, what does that say to me about how they think of me as the creator of the cookies. 
well, I don't feel very respected when they throw my cookies in the garbage. But also, they're keeping that precious cookie from fulfilling its purpose of bringing joy to human beings, right? They can't do that when it's in the garbage. Well, I think sometimes we do this with creation. We, we take what we want and we throw away the rest. Billy Graham uh, talked about this. I feel like Billy Graham's like the trump card. If you ever want to like say, this settles it. You just throw out a Billy Graham quote. So here we go. <laughs> when we fail to see the world as God's creation, we will end up abusing it. Selfishness and greed take over and we end up not caring about the environment or the problems we're creating for future generations. I think he sees this as Christians have a responsibility to care for creation. Just a couple ideas of how we can do a better job with that. First, enjoy nature. Just go out and enjoy the beautiful world that God has created. Hike or bike. I know the next four months make it tough. It's like, enjoy what exactly? Cold? Snow? Yes, you can enjoy snow. It's possible, I think. Um, recycle, even if it's not convenient. In fact, let me just throw this out here. We have a big recycle dumpster here at the church that never gets filled up. If you want to recycle something and it's hard for you to get to recycle, just come and dump it at the church. Just use the correct bin. Don't put plastic garbage bags in there. You know what to do, but you're welcome to do that. Uh, use renewable resources um, and reduce waste. We throw a lot of stuff away because we're not really thinking about it. Let's just think about it. How we interact with creation matters. And we know that this is a part of Jesus' plan to make all things new, that creation also will be restored. And we will be restored to our place of responsibility over creation to rule and, and help it flourish and thrive. That's coming. So when we look at this whole puzzle, uh, I'm curious if you ask yourself the question, like, am, is this true? Is that, do I have peace in all of these areas of my life? I think most of us would say, not all of them, <laughs> maybe a couple. Have you ever had moments when you could say, yeah, I'm, I'm at peace in all of these areas. Like things are right between me and God. Things are right in my view of myself. Things are right between me and other people. Things are right between me and creation. I think those moments, I hope they come, but I think they're gonna be rare. And I think what that's supposed to do is make us look forward to Jesus' return and new creation when it'll, that, that puzzle will be full for all of us. But what it's also supposed to remind us of is our responsibility as representatives of the kingdom of God on earth, that we're supposed to be taking this everywhere we go. Everywhere we go, we're supposed to be taking this demonstration that peace with God is possible, peace with self is possible, peace with others is possible, peace with creation is possible. We're supposed to be taking that possibility, that potential, that hope, that expectation everywhere we go. So that's something we need to start thinking about for ourselves. I, I, uh, as we close here in a minute, I'm gonna invite you to think about what, what is an area where you feel like you're, you're maybe not doing your part to have peace in that particular area of your life. What can you do differently? But the reason why uh, we're, we're doing this planting presence campaign, uh, if, to catch you up, we are partnering with um, Central India Christian Mission to help them take the gospel into an area of India uh, that hasn't heard the gospel before. And um, what we've decided is that if, if our presence with other people is our greatest gift, maybe we could spend a little less on gifts and take that extra money and put it towards something where, where they're taking the gospel to, to people who need to hear about Jesus. So that's what we're doing. Our goal was $10,800 would send three church planters out in 2023 
Um, and the projections are that each of those would plant four churches and see 800 converts um, as they go. So the goal is $10,800. Up to date, we have a little over $13,000. Uh, collected for this. So good job, you guys. Well done. So that means we're really close to uh, making that four church planters that we're sending out. And I think we got a pretty good shot at five if, uh, if we see it through to the end of the week. Um, and which would be awesome to celebrate that and, and track along with that through um, next year. And so if you haven't given to that and you want to, uh, you can do that through the app. There's a drop down that says planting presence, or you can put that on your check or whatever. But the reason why we care about this is because as citizens of the kingdom of God who are aware of the, the work that Jesus has done to create peace, we have this privilege and responsibility to be ambassadors of peace everywhere we go, starting in the mirror, in our own homes, our neighborhoods, and beyond. So I want to invite you to pray with me as we close. Would you stand? If there's an area, one of these four relationships where you feel like you're, you just haven't been doing your part um, to, to pr promote peace there, and we acknowledge when it comes to peace with other people, you, we can't control other people. Like, you can't force peace with somebody else, but we have our part to play. So if, if there's a way you need, to, you need to do your part, whether it's between you and God, your view of yourself, your relationships with others, or your relationship with creation. Just lift that to God. Ask him to give you some guidance by his spirit this week uh, to move in the direction of peace in those areas. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the work of Jesus who is our peace. Help us to embrace the reality that we have peace with you. I think that's just hard to swallow sometimes. Just refresh that truth in our hearts this morning. And help us to do our part to promote peace in other areas of our lives and with the people around us. And may you get the glory for every good thing that happens. God, we pray for those who are going out in India to share the gospel with people who have never heard about you. And as, as they take education and medical care and those kind of things with them, would you use them to bring peace in the areas where they're going? And may every... Every good thing that happens, may you get the credit for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for being here. God bless you. Go in peace, be salt and light in a world that desperately needs Christ.